And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I gotta kick myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of the Jack Benny program with special guest Barbara Stanwyck from 1943. Then, with the 4th of July just around the corner, I'll present a patriotic drama on Escape, starring Harry Bartell from 1948. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Hey, what's happening in Hollywood? Well, Julia Roberts just presented George Clooney, your identical twin. Yes. With the... I'm actually uh, slightly better looking than George. Yeah, there's That's always one that's slightly say, better than the other. But, yeah. you know, twins are twins. Yeah. Uh, this is the American Film Institute Lifetime Achievement Award. And what this going does, to me or to George? Well, unfortunately, it's George. But since you guys are so much alike, I feel like you share in this honor yes. with him. Yep. So this honors uh, an individual whose career in motion pictures or television has really contributed to American culture. And in this case, it was George Clooney. He is an actor, a director, a writer, a producer, and of course, you're, I'm all of those things. I know. That's all what I'm saying. Things. You absolutely deserve the honor, just as well as my I buddy don't have George. A castle. In Rome, though, or in Italy That's somewhere. That's okay. But That's just, you know, not important. This is the 46th AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. And this was tributed in the Dolby Theater in Hollywood, California. I wish nice. you were there. Yeah. Unfortunately, you couldn't make it that weekend. But if you could, I'm sure you would have been there. Weekend. Last year's winner was... A uh, guy or a girl? It's a girl. Um, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, so close. No, Diane Keaton. Diane Almost Keaton. had that okay. one. Yeah. Um, but anyway. She's in that movie, The Book Club. I saw it. Yeah, she yeah, is. I thought in that it was movie. pretty good. I liked I, it. I like Diane yeah. Keaton. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Clooney has, uh, been the big winner this year and he has had eight Academy Award nominations and two wins. He has? Yes. And he's won two Academy Awards? The two wins. One was for Best Supporting Actor for Syriana. Okay. And then Best Picture Argo. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, yeah, um, I didn't know that. So congratulations to both you and George Clooney. I didn't know my twin Clooney. was a two-time Academy Award winner. Yes, indeed. Wow. All right. Well, thanks, Lisa. Congratulations to you both. Ah, thanks, Lisa. Well, uh, last time we began listening to the Jack Benny program. Their special guest is Barbara Stanwyck subbing for Mary Livingston, who is out with laryngitis. And uh, let's go back to November 28, 1943, for the conclusion now of the Jack Benny program. Well, I'll call Rochester and tell him to, hey, wait a minute. When did you and Mary see Rochester? Yesterday afternoon, coming out of the movies. We saw him at Warner's Beverly Theater. You saw Rochester at Warner's Beverly Theater? Hmm... And he told me his best friend was getting married and he wanted the day off. Give me that phone. Here you are. 
Operator. Operator. When you hear the tone, the time will be... What? Oh, excuse me. I was on time signals all day yesterday. <laughs> Number, please. I want Crestview 6-7-0... You know, when you're on time signals, you keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over. Look, miss, miss, all I'm trying to get is Crestview 6... You know, the day before yesterday, they had me on information. Uh, look, I, uh, I want Crestview 6 7 0. That drives you nuts all together. <laughs> Well, miss, look, I know how you feel, but I've You got... don't know how I feel. <laughs> when Myrtle and I came to work here, they promised to make me a supervisor. Listen, miss... Myrtle's my girlfriend, and she ain't got half the education I got. Look, look... So who do you think they made a supervisor? All right, Myrtle. No, a complete stranger. <laughs> now, look here, miss, I'm sorry about all your... Will you please get me my home, Crestview 6, 7071. Okay. I must be the fatherly type. Everybody tells me they're... Hello? That's strange. Is this Crestview 670? I'm not talking to you. <laughs> hmm. He gave me the wrong number. Operator? Operator? Long distance. What? You see how they push me around? <laughs> Look, miss, you gave me the wrong number. I want Crest 6 View 7... I want Crest View 6, 7071. Okay. Wait till I get Rochester on the phone. I'll tell him a thing or two. I'll... Oh, Barbara, what am I mad at Rochester about? He told you he wanted a day off to go to his best friend's wedding, and he went to Warner's Beverly Theater instead. Oh, he did, eh? That burns me up. Mr. Beverly's residence, storm, stage, screen, and radio. <laughs> Hmm. Autograph pictures, two for quarter. <laughs> Rochester, this is Mr. Benny talking. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, Rochester, how did you enjoy the wedding you went to yesterday? Oh, fine, boss, fine. That's good. By the way, did you promise to bring your niece over to see Miss Livingston about a maid's job? Yes, yeah, she's here now. We'll be right over. Uh-huh. Now tell me, Rochester... Just where and when did you tell Miss Livingston about your need? It was yesterday afternoon, just as I was coming out of the Beverly Theater. Uh-oh. <laughs> you were coming out of the Beverly what? Chapel. <laughs> Chapel, huh? Then you really did go to your best friend's wedding. Uh-huh. What's his name? Who? Your best friend. Oh, him! Yes, him. What's his name? I don't know, boss. He just got married. It's been changed. <laughs> now, wait a minute. When a couple gets married, it's the girl who changes her name. When did they start that? <laughs> Three months ago. It's a new OPA ruling. <laughs> Imagine going to the movies. Rochester, you lied to me. No, I didn't, boss. All right. Then what time was the wedding ceremony? Two o'clock. Were there many people there? The place was jammed. Who gave the bride away? The Warner Brothers. <laughs> that does it. Now, Rochester, I'll talk to you about this whole matter when I get home. Meanwhile, you bring your niece over here right away if she wants that job. Now, goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Yes? Looks like my name goes on top of the list. 
What list? The people you get mad with just before Christmas. <laughs> Never mind that. Goodbye. Imagine him taking advantage of my good nature. Oh, Barbara, Rochester's bringing his niece over for you to interview for Mary. And now... <laughs> oh, brother. And now, now, ladies and gentlemen... Oh, uh, say, Jack. Yes, Don? I meant to tell you how very sorry I was that I couldn't be at your house Thanksgiving. I had sort of a family reunion at my mother-in-law's. Oh, how was the turkey? I mean, how was the turkey? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Doug. That's all right. Did you, did you have fun Thanksgiving? Yes, we had a nice big dinner, and after we finished eating, we all played a game called, uh, What Is It? A game called, What Is It, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, that was nice. I'm... It goes something like this. Don. I make up a poem, and you have to guess what I'm describing. Don, we haven't time for that. Oh, Lordy, take a minute. Now, listen. <clears throat> It's sweet as a nut and yum, yum, yummy. It's good on your plate, but better in your tummy. Now, what is it? I know, I know, but I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> no, don't tell him, Barbara. Don't tell him. Well, now, I don't think you know, so I'll give you another hint. <clears throat> it's toasty brown and munchy crunchy. If you don't like it, you're slightly punchy. Now, what is it? I know, I know. I'm not going to tell him. Don't tell him, Phil. Don't tell him, audience. Don't prompt him. Just let him stand there all by himself. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell him. Oh, you're, you're just doing that, Jack. Oh, so I know what you're driving at. Don't now, look, Jack, I'll give you one last clue. <clears throat> all right. On Thanksgiving, it's so tasty, you will eat it, but oh, so hasty. Now, what is it? All right, all right, fellas. Let's give him the answer. It's, it's great, not Blake. It is not. It's turkey. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> turkey? Why, Don. Ooh, what he said. <laughs> Don, do you realize what you just uttered? Oh, sure, but it's okay, Jack. I took it up with the sponsor, and he said it's perfectly all right for people to have turkey for Thanksgiving dinner instead of grape nuts flakes. He's a great guy. <laughs> oh, he certainly is. Right now, I'm trying to clear it for Christmas. I see. Well, I'm sure you won't have any trouble. Say, Don, what about New Year's? Do you think that maybe... Come in. Well, it's about time he got here. Hello, Rochester. Hello, Miss Stanwyck. Hello, boss. Rochester, you lied to me, and I'm not forgiving you so easily. So don't talk to me. Oh, boss, let's not go through that again. Remember last time when you didn't talk to me for three weeks? For three weeks? Yes, ma'am. He was so mad at me, he wouldn't tell me to sweep the floor, dust the furniture, or make up the beds. Really? The house got so messy, I had to move to a hotel. <laughs> Now, listen, Rochester. Oh, wait a minute, Jack. Mary asked me to interview a maid for her. Rochester, did you bring your niece with you? Yes, Miss Stanwyck. She's right here if you want to talk to her. Good. Butterfly, this is Miss Stanwyck. How do you do? Hello, Butterfly. Rochester told Miss Livingston you'd be interested in working for her as a maid. Yes, ma'am. Have you ever worked as a maid before? Yes, ma'am. And you worked for... Money. <laughs> Uh, no, no, Butterfly. I mean, who did you work for? That was her name. Mrs. Money. M-U-N-I. <laughs> oh. Her husband's name is Paul. That's Muni. Paul Muni. <laughs> Money. Well, tell me, Butterfly. Have you worked for anyone else? Oh, yes. Lots of people. But I worked for Mrs. Money the longest. I see. How long were you with her? Two days. <laughs> Only two days? Mm-hmm. 
Well... Something wrong. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, what do you think, Jack? Oh, I don't know. Butterfly, do you have any references? Oh, yes, ma'am. Right here in the bag. M-U-N-I, money. <laughs> well, you could pronounce it that way, it is. Oh, my goodness, I lost my letter of reference. Well, that's too bad. But I can remember it. It said, to whom it may concern, Butterfly McQueen is honest, trustworthy, reliable, and, uh, 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 Uncle Rochester, what else did you write? <laughs> Rochester, where are you going? Back to the wedding. I forgot to give the bride. <laughs> Here. Rochester, are you in the habit of writing false references? Only once before, boss, and I'm still with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, let me... Oh, Jack, let it go. Butterfly, I'll give you the job on approval. Okay, I approve. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nowadays, that's no joke. Thank you, Miss Livingston. Miss Sandwich, and I hope I'll be happy with Miss Livingston as I am with, as I was with Mrs. Money, only longer. Well, I'm sure you will, Butterfly, and you can report to work tomorrow morning. Thank you, ma'am. Come on, Uncle Rochester. Okay, honey. So long, boss. Goodbye, goodbye. Listen, Butterfly, now that you got the job, I want you to work hard and do everything Miss Livingston asks you to do. Mm-hmm. She's a very nice lady, and you'll enjoy working for her just like I do for Mr. Benning. But, Uncle Rochester, I thought Mr. Benny was mad at you. Oh, we have our little spats once in a while, but I wouldn't leave that man for anything. You know, I'm crazy about Mr. Benny, and Mr. Benny's crazy about me. Are you sure, Uncle Rochester? Am I sure? Why, yesterday he gave me the whole day off. <laughs> for tonight, folks. Barbara, I want to thank you for coming over on a moment's notice and pinch-hitting from Eric. I was very happy to do it. I know you were. Good night, folks. And that's the Jack Benny program, November 28, 1943, starring Jack Benny with special guest Barbara Stanwyck. Also in the cast, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, Butterfly McQueen, and Don Wilson, sponsored by Grape Nuts Flakes. What I don't understand is there's no grapes and there's no flakes. But it's called Grape Nuts Flakes. Don't get me started on the flake I'm not sure. I don't like that. All right. It's heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's Escape. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360 across about 200 radio stations coast to coast. The great Mike Costella is our executive producer and engineer and is doing a great job as always. To my right, the vivacious Lisa Wolf. That's my team here on Hollywood 360. And we have a great website, Hollywood360radio.com. It has our podcast there. The podcast is always one week behind because we want to give our radio stations first crack at our latest Hollywood 360 radio show that we broadcast all across the country. And we are here every single week playing your favorite classic radio shows. And right now it's time for Escape, radio's greatest series of high adventure and mystery. Came to radio in 1947, lasted seven seasons, and the voices of Escape were William Conrad and Paul Fries, and they often played roles in the episodes as well. Now, this show was sort of a cousin 
to suspense, but it didn't have the same star power or budget of suspense because it rarely had a sponsor. Most of the time, it did not have a sponsor, which is really odd because it was such a great show. It used radio's best supporting players in the casts like Harry Bartell, Joseph Kearns, Ben Wright, John Daner, Virginia Gregg, and many others. And uh, you probably remember the opening, tired of the everyday grind, ever dream of a life of a romantic adventure, want to get away from it all, Lisa? Always. If you want to get away from it all, just go on our cruise. I, I'm, I'm on it. I will be there. Yeah. All right. It's time now for a 4th of July story. Let's go back to July 4th, 1948. This is called A Tooth for Paul Revere, and it stars Harry Bartell. You're going to enjoy this, part one now of Escape. Fed up with the everyday grind, tired out from the summer heat. Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are spurring a lathered horse through darkened streets, trapped by two hostile armies with a kit of magic in your pocket. And the American Revolution... In the balance. Tonight, we escape to an earlier day and to the workshop of a famous wizard, as Stephen Vincent Benet told it in his delightful story, A Tooth for Paul Revere. Some say it all happened because of Hancock and Adams, and some put it back to the Stamp Act and before. Then there's some that hold out for Paul Revere and his little silver box. But the way I heard it, the American Revolution broke out because of Lige Butterwick and his tooth. My great-aunt was a Butterwick, and I heard it from her. Every now and then, she'd write it out and want to get it put in the history books, but they'd always put her off with some trifling sort of excuse. But the way she told it to us kids, sitting there before the flickering fire on some blustery, blowy night, it sounded spooky enough and wonderful enough to be... As true as the Union. History books, bah. You don't get the right of things from such. In the story of a nation, it's the queer corners that count. The tales that get whispered down through families. Now take Paul Revere, for instance. All most folks think about is his riding a horse. But he was a silversmith by trade. There was a kind of magic in that hand of his. I could see just a little bit farther into the millstone than most folks. And in that little shop of his on those fateful nights, he sat over a miraculous flame and brewed the revolution in a silver teapot. And then... He put it into a little silver box, no bigger than this. Yes, that's the way my great-aunt talked about Paul Revere, and the chills ran up our spines. But it takes all kinds to make a country, she used to say, and it isn't till the plain ones, like Lige Butterwick, get stirred up, that things really start to happen. Lige was just an ordinary sort of man, without special vision into a millstone. It might be a grand day in the history books, but for him it was just Tuesday, till he read about it in the papers. 
Folks could argue and fret about Boston tea parties and British warships in Boston Harbor and British soldiers in Boston streets. But Lige Butterwick just plucked his tongue and wondered how the corn might stand this year on his farm outside Lexington, Massachusetts. One day, Lige Butterwick woke up with a toothache. The hot salt pack and the tansy tea his wife fixed for him didn't seem to help much. On the third day, Mrs. Butterwick tied a string to the tooth and Lige stood by the door. You ready? Uh-huh. Uh. Well? Marthy, when it came to the pinch, couldn't quite do it. So... That's how Lige Butterwick came to ride into Lexington, Massachusetts that day. He just had to see somebody about that tooth. And when he got there, the town was in an uproar. Lige! Lige Butterwick! Eh? Oh, good day to you, neighbor Williams. Lige, I didn't expect to see you here today. It's my tooth. Tooth? What do you mean? Uh, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Huh? Oh? Isn't it exciting? Exciting? The toothache? No, no, you idiot. All this. <laughs> Have you seen them yet? Seen who? Why, Hancock and Adams, of course. John Hancock and Sam Adams. They're at the Parson Clark's. Only folks who come here to see was the barber. Figure he's the only one who can do something from a tooth. Uh, <laughs> you don't fool me, Lige. You're probably just as excited as I am. Have you cleaned your musket? Musket? Why, it's five months, the hunting season yet. <laughs> That's where you're wrong, Lige. Looks like... Hunting season may be early this year. Huh? Keep your powder dry. Uh, huh? And so Lige Butterwick came to Lexington, and it was a great day for the history books, and to him it was just Tuesday. And his tooth was jumping, and he went to see the barber as the likeliest man he knew to pull a tooth. But the barber took one look at it and shook his head. Now, I can pull her out all right, Lige, but uh, she's got long roots and strong roots, and she can't leave an awful gap when she's gone. Hmm, that's true. Now, what you really need, though it's caustic my business, one of these here artificial teeth to go there in the hole. Artificial teeth? Any, uh, land of mercy, it's flying in the face of nature. Nothing of the kind, Lige. Artificial teeth is all the gold these days. Like them to ought to keep up with the times, but... I, it would do me no good to see you with an artificial tooth. Yes, indeed it would. It would do you good, but, uh, supposing I did want one, how in Tunket would I get it in Lexington? Now, you just leave that all to me. You'll have to go into Boston, but I know just the man. Here, if I can find it. Yeah, had his prospectus here somewhere. Oh, oh, yes, here. See here? Uh-huh. This fella called Revere in Boston that fixes him, and they say he's a boss workman. Revere? Yes, now you just listen to this here. Whereas many persons were so unfortunate as to lose their forties, uh, that you, Lige. Oh, yes. Uh, to their great detriment, not only in looks, but in speaking, both in public and private. This is to inform all such that they can have them uh, replaced by artificial ones. I see. That will look as well as the natural and answer the end of speaking to all intents. Hmm. Oh, yes, and then see, it goes on. Oh, his name, yes, his name's right here. Uh, Paul Revere, Goldsmith, near the head of Dr. Clark's Wharf in Boston. Hmm. Sounds well enough, but what's it going to cost? Oh, I, I know Revere. Comes through here pretty often, as a matter of fact. Does? Yes, and he's a decent fella, even if he is a pretty big bug and sounds liberty. Now, you just mentioned my name. Well, it's something I hadn't thought of, but 
and for penny, and for pound. Missed mm. a day's work already, and that tooth's got to come out before I go stark staring mad. But what sort of man is this Revere, anyway? Oh, he's a regular wizard. A regular wizard with his tools. Wizard? Hmm. I don't know about wizards, but if he can fix my tooth, I'll call him one. That's the first portion of Escape. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Escape. So, Lige Butterwick got back on his horse and started for Boston. He rode through the busy, excited streets of Lexington, and when he came opposite the residence of Parson Clark, he saw a little crowd collected, men staring. So he stopped his horse for a moment and looked. Mister, is that them? Is it who, son? Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams, sir. There through the window. Tall, handsome man and a short man with a face like a bulldog. Hmm, I wouldn't know, son. They're strangers to me. Get up. When he got to Boston, he began to feel queer. And it wasn't only his tooth. He hadn't been there for four years. And he'd expected to find it changed, but... It wasn't that either. The sky was clear and beautiful, but... Lige felt like there was thunder in the air. It was uncanny. And the people, there'd be little knots of them on the corners, but when you came up to them, they seemed to melt away. Or they'd look at you and stop talking. And then he came to the harbor. Out there in the port of Boston, riding black and grim with the British warships. He'd known they'd be there, of course. But it was different somehow, seeing them with their guns pointed in at the town. Suddenly he felt uncomfortable. Felt he'd like to turn and go home. But he was hungry, and so he went to a tavern for a bite. <coughs> uh, good day to you. And what may I do for you, stranger? Uh... Just a bite and a sup, if you're serving. I have a seat. You'll be served. Thank you. Uh, nice weather we're having these days. It's bitter weather for Boston. Uh, well, <laughs> now, maybe for Boston, but out in the country, we'd call it good planting weather. I guess maybe I was mistaken in you. It is good planting weather. For some kind of trees. Uh, trees. Well, now, I suppose you're right about that. That's so. Uh, and what kind of trees would you be thinking of? There's trees and trees, you know. Uh, well, uh, now that you ask you me, You meant I... the liberty tree. And may it soon be watered in the blood of tyrants. Now, the royal oak of England and God save King George and loyalty! Adam, boys! Wait, stop. I didn't mean... Glory. I always heard city folks were crazy. But politics must be getting serious in these American colonies when they start fighting about trees. Oh. Aye. And it is, friend. So they threw you out, too? Yes, blast them. But I want to shake your hand. Nobly done, friend. I'm glad to find another true-hearted man loyal to the crown in this pestilent, rebellious city. Well, I don't know as I quite agree with you about that. 
But I came here to get my tooth fixed, not to talk about politics. And as long as you've spoken so pleasant, I wonder if you could help me out. You see, I'm from Lexington Way, and I'm uh, looking for a fellow named Paul Revere. Paul Revere? No, so it's Paul Revere you want, my worthy and ingenious friend from the country. Well, I'll tell you how to find him. Good, I thank you. You go up to the first British soldier you see and ask the way, but uh, you'd better give the password first. Password? Yes, you say to that British soldier, any lobsters for sale today? And then you ask about Revere. Uh, but uh, why do I talk about lobsters first? Well, you see, the British soldiers wear red coats, so they like being asked about lobsters. Uh. Just try it and see. <laughs> Just try it, my friend, and see. Uh, pardon me, sir. Uh, do you have any lobsters for sale today? What? How dare you seize that man? Uh, barrel. Place to hide. Down that way. Come on, Sergeant. Huh? You can come out now. They've gone past. Oh. Oh, yes, thank you. Nice. <clears throat> Look at your clothes. That was a tar barrel you jumped into. Yes, I'm a sight. What were they chasing you for? I really don't know. Guess I didn't give the right password. Password? Yes, but all the same, I don't think soldiers ought to act like that when you ask them a civil question. But city folks are soldiers. They can't make a fool out of me. I came here to get my tooth fixed and get it fixed at will if I have to surprise the whole British kingdom to do it. Oh, good for you, sir. Uh, can I be of any help to you? Ah, you can, boy. Uh, tell me where I may find the silversmith, Paul Revere. Oh, that's easy. Right before your eyes. There's a sign hanging down by the wharf, and that's his shop. I work there. Well, now, those soldiers did me a good turn after all. Come on, boy, now maybe I'll get my tooth fixed. Then Lige Butterwick was in the shop of Paul Revere, silversmith, goldsmith, jack-of-all-trades, sculpturer of artificial teeth, brewer of revolutions, wizard. The shop itself was small and dark, with mysterious shadows lurking in the corners and the back. It was crammed full of the wondrous products of its owner's skillful hand, gold and silver objects of great beauty. Prince of Boston and caricatures of the British. Hard boxes and bottles filling the shelves. At this particular moment, it was also full of customers. And Lige Butterwick, with the cautious shyness of the countryman, sank back into a corner seat out of the way and watched as Paul Revere waited on several customers. And the last of these was a grand lady who looked like a an irate turkey goblin. Oh, Master Revere, I am so disappointed. When I took the things from the box, I could just have cried. It's I who am disappointed, madam. What was the trouble? Must have been carelessly packed. Was it badly dented? No. I'll speak the boy. No, no, it wasn't dented. But I wanted a really impressive silver service, something I can use when the, the governor comes to dine with us. I certainly paid for the best. And what have you given me? I've given you the best work of which I'm capable, madam. It was in my hands for six months, and I think they're capable hands. Oh, I know you were a, a competent artisan, Master uh, Revere, but... Silversmith, ma'am, Well, I don't care please. what you call it. 
I know I wanted a real service, something I could show my friends. And what have you given me? Oh, it's silver if you choose, but it's just as plain as a picket fence. Simple, plain. You pay me high compliments, madam. Mm, compliments indeed. I'll send it back tomorrow. Why, there isn't as much as a lion or a unicorn on the cream jug. And I told you I wanted the sugar bowl covered with silver grapes. But you've given me something as bare as the hills of New England. And I won't stand it, I tell you. I'll send to London instead. Send away, madam. We're making new things in this country. New men. New silver. Perhaps who knows a new nation. <sighs> Plain, simple, bare as the hills and rocks of New England. Graceful as the boughs of elm trees. If my silver were only like that indeed, that's what I wished to make it. As for you, madam, with your lions and unicorns and grape leaves and your nonsense of bad ornamentation done by bad silversmiths, your imported bad taste and your imported British manners, puff, away with you. Puff, puff, puff. Why, why, I never. Puff, I say. Oh. William? Yes, sir. <laughs> Put up the shutters. We are closing for the day. Uh, oh, William, no word yet from Dr. Warren? Not yet, sir. <clears throat> yeah, what's that? Well, who are you there in the corner? Well, Mr. Vare. It is Mr. Vare, isn't it? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, it's a kind of a long story, but uh, closing or not, you got to listen to me. The barber told me so. The barber? You see, I'm Lige Butterwick, and it's my tooth. Tooth? <laughs> you'd, uh, you'd better begin at the beginning. Oh, but wait now. Here, you don't talk like a Boston man. Where'd you come from? Oh, around Lexington Way. And you Lexington? See, were you there this morning? Well, of course I was. That's where the barber I Never mind about the barber. Were Miss Hancock and Mr. Adams still at Parson Clark's? Well, they might have been, for all I know. But I couldn't say. Great heaven, is there a man in the American colonies who don't know Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams? Oh, well, there seems to be me. But uh, speaking of strangers, there was two of them staying at the parsonage when I rode past. One was a handsome man. The other man uh, looked more like a bulldog. So they are still there. And the British ready to march. Did you see many soldiers as you came to my shop, Mr. Butterwick? See them. They chased me into a tar barrel. Was a whole parcel of them by the common with guns and flags. Looked as if they meant business. Thank you, Mr. Berwick. You're a shrewd observer. You've done me and the colonies an invaluable service. Oh, that's nice to know. But uh, speaking of this tooth... <laughs> You're a stubborn man, Mr. Berwick. All the better. I like stubborn men. I wish we had more of them. Well, one good turn serves another. You've helped me... I'll do my best for you. I've made artificial teeth, but drawing them is hardly my trade. All the same, let's have a look. Here, come over here by the light. Hi. And now, open. Ah. Yeah. Well, Mr. Motherwick, it appears to be compound agglutinated infraction of the upper molar. Oh. And I'm afraid I can't do anything about it tonight. But, but, but uh, here's a draft that will... Ease the pain for a while. There. Drink. <clears throat> it's, um, it's spicy and, uh, and queer.
mind. Now you go to a tavern, get a night's rest. Come back see me in the morning. I'll find a truth drawer for you. If I'm here. Oh yes, sir. Uh, you'd best have some liniment. Uh, that's a queer kind of shop you have here, Mr. Vare. <laughs> some folks think so. Say, uh, what's in that little bottle? Where? Oh, there. That's a little chemical experiment of mine. I call it Essence of Boston. But there's a good deal of the east wind in Essence of Boston? Well, they did say you was a wizard. It's genuine magic, I suppose. Genuine magic, of course. And here. Here's the marsh with your liniment. It, no, no. Not that one. This one. Ah, thank you. Uh, but that other little box there, the little silver one with the stars on it and the elm tree. Oh, yes. You like it? Pick it up. Mighty pretty work. Thank you. My own design. Thirteen stars there. See them? Uh-huh. You could make a very pretty design with stars. For a new country, say. If you wanted to. I've sometimes thought of it. But, um... What's in the box? It feels queer. What's in it? What's in the air? Founders. Gunpowder. War. Making of a new nation. The time isn't right here. Not quite right. You mean that this here revolution that folks keep talking about? Yes. In this box? Glory be. Master Revere, it's come, it's come. The message from Dr. Warren. William, my writing boots. Now hurry, I must be off. Sorry, Mr. Butterwick, but I must rush. Take your liniment and come back tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Thank you, sir. I'm back tomorrow. I'll help you. Yes, sir. It's okay. It wasn't till Lige Butterwick was alone in his room at the tavern where he was to stay the night that he realized what he'd done. In the bustle and haste of leaving Mr. Revere's shop, he had picked up the wrong box. Instead of the box of liniment, he held in his hand the little silver box with the thirteen stars upon it. He hadn't quite believed Mr. Revere when he talked about the box. But then, everything had seemed so almighty queer since he'd arrived in Boston. And his toothache and his head felt light. And he, being human, was curious. He looked for a keyhole. But there was none. The box wouldn't open. He shook it. Suddenly, it felt warm, as if there was something alive inside it. He held it to his ear. Great Godfrey. Now, Lige Butterwick was feeling scared. But he was feeling kind of good, too. And then he found out that he was talking to himself. Well, I'm not a Britisher. I'm a New Englander. And maybe there's something beyond that. Something people like Hancock and Adams know about. And if it has to come with a revolution, well, I guess it has to come. Can't stay Britishers forever here in this country. What am I going to do with this box? 
Too big a job for one man. Guess we'll have to take this back to Paul Revere. First, he went to the little shop on Clark's Wharf. But it was closed up tight. And it was a while before he could rouse anyone. Then it was the boy, William, who opened the door. Oh, it's you. Well, Master Revere isn't here. But I've got to find him. Can you tell me where he's gone? Why do you want to know? Got something for him. He needs it. You wouldn't be a spy for the British now, would you? A spy? Me? Well, then what is it you got for him? This box. Little silver box. Took it by mistake. Think it's important. The box? By the flag, it isn't important. But he's gone. Gone to warn the patriots that the British are coming. Uh, which way, boy? Which way did he go? Uh, across the river. Uh, to Charlestown. All right, thank you, boy. I'll be following. No, you don't get any boats for me. There was a crazy man long here an hour ago, and he wanted a boat, too. My husband was crazy enough to take him. And then, do you know what he did? No, ma'am. He made my husband take my best petticoat to muffle the oars so they wouldn't splash when they passed that Britisher ship. My best petticoat, mind you. When my husband comes back, he's going to get a piece of my mind. Uh, Was his name Paul Revere? Was he a man of 40-eyed, keen-looking, kind of Frenchy? Don't know what his right name is, but his name's Mud with me. My best petticoat tore into strips and swimming in that nasty river. Uh, thank you, ma'am. I'll get a boat elsewhere. Mr. Butterwick, sir, be careful. Your own is right under the stern of a British man of war. Don't worry, I see it. Please, Mr. Butterwick, shh. Oi, there. Do, Mr. I guess not. Thought I had a boat. Be careful, Mr. Butterwick. All right, boy. Revere, he's been gone an hour. Gone? Gone where? Riding to Lexington to warn Hancock and Adams as soon as he spied the lights up there in the North Church. I've got to catch him. It's this box. He's got to have it. Where can I get a horse? Right over here. Come on. Out through the darkened streets of Charlestown, he rode. On into the black of the countryside. Once he got lost, but he found his way again and rode on. It was just dawn as he came inside of Lexington, and the dew was glistening on the green of the April grass. But Lige Butterwick didn't notice the beauty of the dawn. The little silver box was hot now and burning in his pocket. And then suddenly he reined in his horse. For there on the road were two men carrying a trunk. And one of them was Paul Revere. Well, Mr. Revere... Say, I'm on time for that little appointment about my tooth. Well, um, it's you. You are a stubborn man, Mr. Budwick. Ah, well, but uh, you give me a merry chase all night. I've had one myself. Been captured by the British once and escaped. Don't know what's still in store for me, but we're carrying a precious cargo here in this trunk. We're bringing to safety all the private papers of Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams. Uh, which reminds me, I've uh, something for you here. Silver box. You've got the silver box. I, by mistake, and it's getting frightfully hot in my hand. Yes, my friend, and little wonder. Across there, Lexington Green. The green? Why, there's a line of Lexington men. And there across the creek, facing them, is a column of British redcoats. Aye, lined up with guns, they are, Mr. Butterwick. They've come to arrest Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams, and the minute men stand before them. Mr. Fair? I'm a peaceable man. I've had little notion of politics. 
but I don't like what I saw in Boston. I don't like soldiers chasing peaceable citizens into tar barrels or uppity ladies with imported British manners. And I don't like British redcoats on Lexington Green. That I don't. Mr. Bedwick, what you doing? I'm stamping on your silver box, Mr. Revere. I'm breaking it open. Do you know what you've done? You've let out the American Revolution. Look, they fired the first charge. Well, I guess it's about time. And I guess I'd better be going now. Uh, but, Mr. Bedwick, where are you going? Home. Got a musket on the wall there. I'll be needing it. Uh, but here, what about your tooth? Oh, a tooth's just a tooth. But a country's a country. Anyhow, doesn't ache anymore. Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight brought to you A Tooth for Paul Revere by Stephen Vincent Benet. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel and featuring Harry Bartell as Lige Butterwick, Parley Bear as Paul Revere, and Barry Kroger as the narrator. Special music by Ivan Dittmars. Good night, then, until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Escape with a Tooth for Paul Revere, starring Harry Bartell from July 4th, 1948. A humorous look at a Yankee farmer's point of view and how the American Revolution really started. Also in the cast, Harley Bear, Barry Kroger, William Conrad, Paul Fries, and Peggy Weber, our good pal Peggy Weber in that show. Roy Rowan doing the announcing as heard on CBS. Let's take a break. Then it's more of Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time it's The Cavalcade of America starring Herbert Marshall from 1945. Then it's another 4th of July story, but this time on The Great Gildersleeve from 1952. That's next time right here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.